Welcome to The Vanderpoint. Please join your hosts, Jessica Vanderkoy and Rachel Pointer, as they challenge each other and have critical conversations about disrupting and dismantling the systems that fuel human trafficking. So when we talk, you and I, sometimes we do these trainings or whatever, but a lot of times we talk about like, and thinking how a person can be more than one thing at a time and all of that. Um, And like, when we think about survivor leadership uh, being survivor-led in the way that we've been talking about how it's so problematic, what we're doing is we're saying survivors are only this. Survivors are only this, and we only need them for their story. But for, I'm going to use myself as an example because I think people forget this part when they listen to me talk, but I was in my chosen field for years before I was able to see my personal history for what it was, before I had been able to heal enough to see what it was, and also until we normalized some of the language and were able to really understand what trafficking and exploitation are. So I had already established myself as a professional in my field and also had three degrees before I came to see my own personal experience for what it was. Do you know what happened the moment I said, yes, this is my experience too? Hmm. Every single professional piece of progress that I had made, everything else about me disappeared. Mm. And all I was, was the voice of a survivor, Mm. all of a sudden, out of nowhere. People listen to me differently, because they know that I am very vocal and open about my experiences. I'm opinionated, and I let people know Mm -hmm. (laughs) things worse. Other folks may not necessarily. But People forget that I had been in my field for years. I had degrees related to my field for years before I ever said, this is my experience too. And now all of a sudden, none of that matters. Mm-hmm. As if I cannot be both things. Mm. As if the fact that I was victimized in that way and lived through it was so much that it erased every personal gain I had made. Mm. And that's, that's not, I, I use myself as an example because like, obviously that's personal to me and I know intimate details about the way that that shook out, but I'm not the only person this happens to. And it's actually fairly common that perhaps you come to realize your own experience through that lens at different times than I did. But I know folks who've been exploited, spent years in sex work, spent years trying to heal and come out of all of that, who have doctorates, who still are the survivor leader, Mm -hmm. quote unquote. Like it's like, that's all you can ever be. So there's this piece where like, I can only be this one thing that something that happened to me. So once again, it's not about me. I don't actually matter. Mm-hmm. And that's the message that gets sent. Mm-hmm. You say it's survivor-led. Okay, what's that mean? Mm-hmm. And, and when you're thinking about things being survivor-led, are you really talking about and thinking about survivors in all of the ways that we show up? Because I guarantee you there are survivors of specifically 
trafficking and exploitation that are working in the organizations that we have worked with who will never say out loud because they know the moment that they do, that's all they will be. Mm -hmm. And that is so wrong. And that's a whole nother level of like things that piss me off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's like, it's, that's, there are so many pieces that come into play around that. We are more than one thing. As a human being, I am a multitude of things. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that I was, I experienced victimization and I lived through it to tell the tale, that should not be the only thing I'm known for. And that shouldn't be the only reason you want my stamp of approval either. Yeah. I digress. <laughs> no, I think it's, I think it's perfect. I think it's um, I'm like, I'm curious. This is, you know, we talked about how then there, there's a plan and then there's what happens. This is what happens because this is not planned. I'm curious if we do that with other types of personal experience outside of, I'm thinking about, so in, in some ways, similar tale, I had degrees, worked in a field, then started doing some speaking around um, being in foster care and my adoption story. And I never felt that way. I never felt like my experience as a foster child or my experience as an adoptive parent ever overrode my degrees and professional experience I was having. Like I cannot connect with that at all. I absolutely see it happen, believe you know it happens and how awful it is to sort of diminish accomplishments, right? Because that's the other thing is it's like, it's making you singular, making you you flat, right? One dimensional. But it's also like, then by default, do you start to overcompensate for like the other pieces, right? Like, it's like, no, wait, hey, hey, hang on. I got, I have a degree. Hey, hey, no, I've, I've actually worked 15 years with children. I, you know, um, (laughs) and, (laughs) and that you, that it creates this, you know, inner, inner turmoil, but I'm like, I'm thinking about other people I know who use their lived experience to impact the lives of others and whether or not this, am I asking the right question? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, does this feel like it's like our country and society's deal with sex Mm -hmm. that changes this? Because even like survivors of domestic violence, right? Maybe we do. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I know enough about like to have this whole conversation. I just know that in my experience around foster care and adoption, I didn't ever feel like my experience overrode my education Mm -hmm. or my professionalism or my experience. So then when you said that unplanned, I was thinking, does this have something to do with our weirdness as a society around talking about sex? talking about relationships, talking about consent, talking, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. Am I I going someplace that doesn't make any sense? (laughs) No, I think it totally makes sense. And I, I I don't know that I necessarily have like an answer. I, I think that we do do it in other, like in other genres of victimization as well. Um, And I, I've seen it happen to other folks. I also think though, like, There's this whole train of thought that we're still trying to get away from, like in academia specifically, where the idea of quote unquote, an appropriate boundary is that you leave yourself out of things. And we're, we're starting to move that because you, first of all, you can't 
actually leave your whole self out of your interactions with other people. It doesn't work. It's super unhealthy. <laughs> and no way to actually recognize relationship as the right. to to growth and healing, right? What yeah. we've talked about so many times. Yeah. A relationship is a volley back and forth, not a toss the ball over the net, I'll catch it, and then you go get another ball, right? Right. right. Like exactly. that's not how that works. And exactly. so if you don't share part of yourself, part of your experience, mm-hmm. um, that sometimes does fall into these personal categories, which then, you know, people will, will hide behind um, boundaries and quote unquote ethics and professionalism and leave out the human being in the volley back and forth. Yeah. And so then it's not a relationship anymore, right? It's, right. It's basically just an infomercial or something. Right. I don't even, <laughs> like, it's not, well, a, it's, it's not a relationship. Giving you a, a, a like, basket of treats, right? You giving yeah. you a basket of treats and then you saying thank you and then not really even asking if you used anything in the basket, right? It's like, right. because this isn't a volley and then I get to feel good about giving you the basket of treats basically. So it's this, this like, um, the train of thought is being disrupted now. And folks are really starting to see that the relationship actually does matter. And your relationship with yourself deeply impacts how you treat other people, treat both as in like how you actually behave towards other people and treat as in like in your professional setting, how you work with them your relationship with yourself impacts your relationship with other people impacts your relationship with the community and the relationships other folks have with you and vice versa whereas previously the idea is that it doesn't if you can disconnect yourself enough then you're being a good therapist or you're being a good advocate or you're whatever and so there was no place for personal experience the place for personal experience was and and i've been in the field long enough to see this shift so the actual verbatim way that we do trauma-informed care in the beginning of that was you note that you have had a hard day and you package the hard day and you leave it on the outside of the door and then you come to work like you you're not a person when you come to work anymore you leave your hard day outside and you cannot let it impact how you work with other people because they've had hard days Mm -hmm, that's funny you know but Mm -hmm. but that was like a whole so like that came out of academia and so we've got all these folks in the field right who've been trained through that way and now we're talking about actually the relationship does matter in in reality the relationship is the work and the relationship is the intervention like if we want to change these things there has to be we have to pay attention tune in and attend to the relationship anyway <laughs> I'm picking up what you're putting down. So long story short, I think that in in other, um, they're not really other fields, they're related fields, but anti-trafficking has pretended to be its own field, even though it's deeply related to all the other victim-serving right. fields. Right, shitty systems, right. poverty, shitty. Yes. oppression, all of systemic that. And trauma yeah yes uh-huh. the whole the whole nine that we're just starting to recognize now that the relationship is something different and so it's becoming more okay so your past does matter then and we're kind of in this weird space where we don't know how to bring those things together that no you've had all this training and experience in the field and that's what matters or no you've had 
your own personal lived experience with this issue. And that's what matters. As if we don't know how to marry those two things and say both of those things matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, um, yeah, I was, no, I'm just, this is like, you know, unplanned and, but I'm appreciating the conversation because I'm kind of thinking about my own sort of just understanding of that idea of men, you know, okay, so you have a pocket of people who, who have all the educational attainment or professional experience, right? That's what your job descriptions are always geared towards. Mm-hmm. And then you've got these cherries on top, right? <laughs> that are the people with lived experience who you get to, you know, whatever. The pay is usually different. The responsibility yep. is usually different. And how to get around some of this and actually probably engage people who would never thought about using their own personal and lived experience as a way to add to their impact to an organization, right? Because it's mm-hmm. just not the role they've been in, right? Or that's not been what they were quote unquote hired to do yep. um, is, you know, is this idea of sort of hiring whole people and not changing things for survivors, Right. But like if the lens that or the work that you run through when you look at how you hire and what how you create positions, how you write job descriptions, is that the people that you want to attract to come to your organization are people that are going to use both their lived and work work experience and knowledge to contribute to your organization. The way we write that looks totally different. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, mm-hmm. kind of like mirrors the idea almost of how we silo services when people access services. We almost silo like our hiring, right? Mm-hmm. A degree with money and that person is going to do budgets. But what we don't bother to understand or have this person contribute is this person is also a survivor um, who has done a whole bunch of public speaking on the side. And we didn't know that because we never really asked. Mm-hmm. Um, but gosh, they'd be really, really great at, you know, finalizing you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, nothing's coming to mind, but you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, we do that with services all the time. It's like, oh, come to this place for a bed, come to this place for rent, come to this place for therapy, um, you know, those kinds of things. And that we know that serving people who've experienced trauma, when we can see that person uh, attend to multiple domains, when we can see that um, serve that person from an ecological framework where we're looking at their relationships, we're looking at their their community and their family and um, how society impacts their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, what if we actually started to do that with our employees, right? And the people that we hired, we would now be at a parallel process. Yeah. Isn't it weird how it all kind of mirrors and mimics and like the good, the bad, and the ugly, like, yeah, there's a pattern there. Yeah. So like hire people, play to their strengths, give them some directed kind of, kind of responsibility based on what position they applied for. Right. But Mm -hmm. like have that wiggle room, same kind of mirroring when we look at building programs for survivors, it's like have a general kind of circle of what you're good at and what you can provide with Mm -hmm. some staples with a whole lot of wiggle room to be able to honor that person as a whole person and and how we can use that the idea of that parallel process of making our organizations a better place to work right Mm -hmm. um having greater impact because we're seeing the entire person not just the survivor or not just the the uno grad right yep um and separating those yeah and 
like, I think we've just solved like, like a hundred problems literally in just this conversation <laughs> because we're just, good like that. And, uh, some things there's, what is it? What did you say? I love this quote. I'm going to start using it. There are things, there are things that are planned and then there's things that happen. Yes. So that just happened. It unplanned. Just happened. So maybe a little messy, but that's kind of what I like about us. Mm-hmm. Yes. You it's know? beautiful thing. It's beautiful, beautiful. Honest and organic and unknowing at times, but I feel like we just kind of weeded through through a little bit. Through a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Also, random aside, but so totally related. Like, can we stop just focusing on the small fries? Like, can we talk about, like, how we influence funders? Because funders are problematic on a whole different level. And the way that we do grants, the way that grants end up going out into the universe and people end up picking up the money and doing whatever with them is so problematic. Like, Uh we encounter so many of these issues with organizations because they're either chasing after a grant or are funded by grants, so they have to figure out how to live within this little box. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that there's a lot of pushback on funders to say, hey, you need to be paying attention to how this actually works. Of course, then we have to talk about philanthropy, and that's a whole other issue that's Mm -hmm. super, super, super messed up. Um, Yeah, that is messy. Yeah, it's super messy. But like, but I think about it in like the parallel process thing. Like what you yeah. just said is exactly what I just said about employees, right? Mm-hmm. And then how that trickles down and how we manage systems for clients or vice versa. Like if we're yes. treating clients in this way and we have these systems that it's this, it's this trickle up, right? That we mirror some of those things that happen in the way our teams work, in the way our organization mm-hmm. is structured. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing happens in that trickle down. If we have an organization that is funded by a philanthropist who is very, very um, inflexible, right, and doesn't have that wiggle room we just talked about, right? So I have a circle of, I know I want to give money to women, period, right? And then a whole bunch of wiggle room in the middle of what does that mean, right? And you allow the, the people in the organization who are getting information from the experts, the women who are or in a decision-making role to tell you what they want, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but how we mirror it in each place. And what that's partially why I think it's maddening is that for those of us who get really frustrated in the system, we go, gosh, this isn't built the way survivors want it built. This isn't built the way people really need it. This is siloed. It's not individualized. It's cookie cutter. It's underfunded. Mm-hmm. We're paying for things that people don't actually really need, right? You and I get angry about that. And we, we talk about that and we fight those systems, but we're, we're fighting against, you know, our own mechanism of parallel process. Our funder, right, mm-hmm. says this is what I want, little wiggle room, we're doing this. And then that trickles down to the program manager and the, the people who are doing it and say, well, no, this is what we want. This is what we're going to do. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we see it. So what if we just kind of all threw all the balls up in the air and we said, oh, my gosh, let's do this different. Let's ask our funders to do it different, right? Who leads the way? Who starts it, right? And yeah. I think historically, it's actually started by survivors. Mm -hmm. It's been survivors who have come in and intersected Mm -hmm. in these systems who have said, wait a second, no more. I don't like it. Right. And then hopefully you have someone in an organization who's listening, who says, you know, you're right. And then as opposed to, but what if this was led by some different people? What if this was led 
by the funders? Right? What if this was led by the CEO as opposed to it does feel like organizations who make these big changes, it's a survivor that came through. Yep. Yep. And let's let's be clear. It's usually a black, brown, native or indigenous person survivor who comes in and says, no, not anymore. And they rally people together almost almost always any of these any of these kinds of of um, interruptions and disruptions almost always someone who has been historically excluded marginalized and oppressed who finally says I don't want to say finally like it's their responsibility gets to a space where they they will not take it anymore and says no we're doing this differently or builds their own thing and it's beautiful and it is working and it's honoring right Mm -hmm. and people start to pay attention Mm -hmm. it's it's i mean (sighs) yeah we have to go upstream more often well and so now it kind of brings me like just to a thought like kind of to tie a bow on it like not in a bow enclosure but a bow in like next step right like Mm -hmm. we we talked about holding ourselves accountable and other white people accountable and people with privilege um, and power accountable. And so um, I think it's exactly what you said historically, right? Um, people who are, who are most impacted by not getting what they need, having to like disrupt these systems. So now what, how do, how do, how do we change that? Right? Like, you know, you and I and other program administrators and white people in, in privileged and powerful situations? Mm, yeah, it's such a good question. Such a good question. Yeah. <laughs> I think I personally, I wrestle with that because I think there's a couple of things that have to happen first. Like we have to hear, right? Like we have to listen. Yeah. And we also have to stop waiting for someone to tell us it's, it's okay to disrupt the system, to get angry. Like, stop mm-hmm. using that as an excuse, our, our fear as an excuse mm-hmm. to take action, mm-hmm. you know, um, and not action that centers me, action that centers the people that it's about, mm-hmm. right? And if that is me joining forces with you, having a podcast where we talk about this stuff and we hold ourselves accountable in public eye, whether that's um, I'm going to start, you know, tearing stuff down and, and using my influence and my privilege to connect with people who actually have power and privilege and money, et cetera, more than I do to mm-hmm. persuade them differently to I see the thing is I don't think that they need to be shown. Mm-hmm. I think we already see enough, but there's something that blocks changing course of action. And so giving alternative actions. Um, but it, we have to stop using everything around us as an excuse mm-hmm. to act, to change first ourselves and then to put the pressure on each other. Right to continue that change. We can't, we can't use excuses anymore. We shouldn't have been using them in the first place, right? The time yeah. is way past overdue for us to see these things as issues that are caused by, potentially by others, 
but sustained by us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if they're going to be interrupted, we need to interrupt them. Mm-hmm. Stop letting it be okay. What we yeah. allow is what continues. Mm. Well, you gave me a lot to think about today. Me too. I like these growth moments. Like when we pause enough to um, not know everything, to be courageous and vulnerable, to like explore something that we don't know the answers to. Yeah. Right? Like on a public forum saying, you know, I wonder if it's this, which could be totally ridiculous, right? But we won't know until we kind of pull on that thread. Mm -hmm. And I know when we first released the podcast, but we were talking about how how these conversations are literally not scripted and kind of unfold as our mind allows them to unfold mm-hmm. and how vulnerable it is to create a public space for private conversations, right? Mm-hmm. No one is here right now and very infrequently or like ever do we ever say, you know, well, I hope our listeners are, right? Right. Because I don't know that neither one of us are are really thinking about that. I think my my boundary in that is really loose. Like I'm not going to have conversations about, I'm not going to get too deep in the woods and things that aren't related to like what the podcast is about. And right. that's like my boundary in like what I talk about on here. <laughs> like don't go down parenting lessons or like presidential elections right now. Right. Like, Right. Right. So, but, and how there is just that vulnerability piece that happens. And I feel like that kind of happened today. I know, Mm. I know it did for me. So Mm -hmm. we learned something. Yes. This is us having a conversation with each other. And sometimes we're challenging each other, but sometimes we're kind of challenging ourselves Mm -hmm. also. And I think like that's part of the process, right? Thank you for witnessing today's conversation on The Vanderpoint. Jessica and Rachel hope you will join them next time as they continue engaging in this critical work.